Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number four of Behind the Mic podcast with Taylor Medic. I am your host, Taylor Medic, and it's great that you tuned in once again. And I hope you are enjoying these conversations that we are having with the talent that is out there in the world of sports broadcasting. And today, my guest, I'm really happy to share this conversation with you. Another colleague of mine that I worked for uh, and with uh, many years, uh, many, many years working at TSN Radio in Edmonton, Dean Millard. Dean Millard was the co-host of the Pipeline Show, the show that I worked on every week with uh, the main host, Guy Flaming. And that was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, Dean was a guy that was known uh, around the city. He was on uh, television at one of the news stations, Global Edmonton, as a sports reporter. So I had known who Dean was, uh, but uh, meeting him for the first time was really neat. Uh, Maybe a little starstruck because I knew he was on TV. And uh, once I was uh, hired at the radio station and told that uh, I would uh, be working with uh, Guy Flaming and Dean Millard of the Pipeline Show at uh, Team 1260 Radio in Edmonton, Alberta, I was uh, really excited at the opportunity to to work on that show. And then of course uh, really excited to work with Dean because I had seen him on television I knew who he was but had never met him so it's always neat when you get to meet uh, someone that uh, ah, for all intents purposes you looked up to when you uh, when you watched uh, television and uh, and Dean was great to work with uh, over the years and uh, and he was awesome he is uh, a Swiss army knife of sports knowledge and he can really talk about anything and that really showed um, when he was the host of the the night show on TSN radio in Edmonton and what he does now um, with uh, his company podcast alley so we will uh, really talk about uh, what he's up to right now which I just mentioned has a slew of podcasts on his network podcastalley.com is where you can find him and uh, Dean has some some great stories a really great journey from uh, Brandon Manitoba where he grew up going to school in Saskatoon and making uh, his way through a few cities in Western Canada throughout his career and some really good advice uh, from Dean in this uh, conversation that uh, we're going to bring you today. And again, thank you for uh, tuning in to Behind the Mic. Uh, any, any, anything that we can uh, do to uh, bring a smile to your day, uh, we're, we're happy to do. And if you're uh, finding out uh, some new tidbits and new things that you hadn't heard about or uh, really known about in terms of the worlds of uh, sports broadcasting or broadcasting in general or hopefully we're uh, bringing you some uh, some new insights on that and as well as you've been tuning into these hopefully you're just enjoying them and they're bringing uh, uh, a smile or a laugh to your face and uh, and and being really informative Um, and the conversation that we'll have with Dean today certainly will be that uh, and lots of connections uh, as well you might uh, recognize some names that uh, Dean's going to, uh, to drop uh, in this interview and, uh, and just see about uh, and hear about his, uh, his journey through uh, sports broadcasting and his, his career. Uh, so without further ado, let's get right to it. Dean Millard, founder of Podcast Alley, talks about his journey through sports broadcasting. Well, I'm pleased to welcome my next guest on Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. It's a former colleague of mine and someone who is really big in the Edmonton, Alberta sports radio and media and television scene for many years, and he's still going 
Strong with the uh, with his podcast network, founder of Podcast Alley. Dean Millard joins me on Behind the Mic. Dean, you ready to go Behind the Mic? I am indeed. It's great to chat with uh, the sports doctor, as uh, <laughs> we dubbed you back in the day. And, and before we go, I don't want anybody to think you really are a doctor. Uh, as one program director put it to us one time, that uh, he was worried people were going to think you were an actual doctor. So we called you the sports doctor. I thought it was a great nickname, and it's great to be chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. And that nickname definitely uh, lives on because a few of my friends still call me that. So uh, <laughs> the praise always goes to you. And, yeah, full disclaimer at the bottom of uh, the episode <laughs> description, I am not a uh, sports doctor. But uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. You've been uh, you've been in broadcasting for, for many, many years. You're from Brandon, Manitoba. Uh, tell us how you got your start, uh, basically, you know, the decision to go in the way that you have uh, back when you were a young boy. Yeah, well, originally I wanted to be in uh, print journalism, uh, and I, I actually applied to Red River College and didn't get in. Um, so that kind of was like, oh, that's what else am I going to do now? And it just was it, it correlated at the same time. As my brother had been doing some pretty good things in uh, Sea Candy in Winnipeg, Darren uh, Millard is, is my older brother. And so I just really got the itch after I couldn't get into journalism and thought, well, this job looks super easy. He just goes on TV, makes jokes, and rips off highlights. So I thought, well, that's that's just what I'll do for the rest of my life. I went and did like a um, – like I just hung out with him one night, and all I did was watch like – you know, like, you remember that scene in The Matrix when there's all the different TV screens? Like, that's what it was of hockey games. And I was hooked. I was like, this is what I want to do. And then, obviously, you get into it and you realize there's a lot more to it than that. But, yeah, once I, you know, when when, when my brother and Gene Principe worked together on the desk at CKND in Winnipeg, it was, the, it was, it was so good. They were so good together. And I used to actually, they would have a trivia segment. I would call in and give fake answers, and Darren would get so mad at me, and Gene would be laughing so hard in the background and be like, keep calling. And my mom literally had to say, you have to stop calling your brother at work (laughs) because he has a job to do. But I, I was hooked. I just started watching everything and highlights and all these shows and You know, then I started, you know, as weird as it was, I worked at a gas station and I was getting ready for broadcasting school. So I would put a cork in my mouth and start talking and enunciate. Like I was, you know, fixated and fascinated. You know, at one point I wanted to be an NHL player and then that wasn't happening. So I thought the next best thing would eventually covering the NHL. And kind of that's where it began uh, in the uh, in the mid to late 90s. And where'd you go to school? Went to Western Academy Broadcasting College in Saskatoon, uh, same school that my brother went to, same school that Drager, oh, Darren Drager went to. Uh, I'm pretty sure Darren Detition uh, went there as well. So it was uh, it was interesting. It was everything that you, it, you know, if, if you worked hard, you were going to get through it. Uh, and, and I got C's in high school, but I graduated top of my class there because I worked my butt off because I loved it. And there was a lot of people that got nothing out of it. It was a five-month course. You were on the air every day. They taught you the basics and then kind of spit you out into the world and you learned the rest, which was kind of interesting. But, um, you know, it was it was five months money well spent for me uh, because I was just uh, I was just so hooked with it. And, you know, I, I worked hard for the first time in my life, really. I kind of just you know skated by in high school. But when I was doing something that I was passionate about, I just dove right into everything. It's amazing that uh, some programs uh, that existed uh, 
you know, five months and, and you're out in the workforce. I mean, that's that's <laughs> unreal. I always thought, in my experience at uh, at Nate, at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, I wish the program was four years because I had so much fun and learned so much. Did you get kind of that same feeling uh, going to school for five months? Oh, I wish it was kind of longer because it was so much fun and you get to work hard and, and do what you want. Or were you really happy that it was over and done with and now you can go out into the workforce? Yeah, well, I, I was happy that it was short because they, they promised you a three-month internship. So it was, I guess you, when you when you look at it, it's kind of like an eight-month course and you're learning. Uh, so I was just, I you know, I was ready to go work for TSN as soon as I came out of there, Taylor. I thought like, oh, this is awesome. I went done my five months. I can go be on TSN and with Landsberg and rip up the highlights. And so I was just wanting to get out there and work and apply and um, you know, so it, the interesting thing is they give you a three month internship. So, you know, we called uh, some places and in Brandon and they said, ah, oh, all he's going to do is stack tapes at this one radio station. And, and the, the Don Scott, the man who runs the, uh, the college, and I think he still does. Um, he said, why do you want to go to Brandon? I said, well, there's, there's no, there's one uh, radio station that's a country station and they have the weekings, but I'll be just stacking tapes. The other place doesn't even have radio. Uh, the other station, it's just like they don't have reporters or anything. They just rip and read. And he said, I'll make a call. So he made a couple calls. He comes back to me a day later and says, I got you an internship at Brandon at uh, CKX Radio if you want it. I'm like, okay, well, that's awesome. I didn't think they had anything like that. I finish school. I go to move back to Brandon where, you know, living back in my dad's house, show up for the first day of CKX Radio, and it's TV. And I'm like, oh, I just didn't say anything, Taylor. I just said, okay, I'll just learn. I had no experience on TV except for anchoring. I didn't know how to put a story together or anything. But I thought, I just fast-tracked radio. Like, I, you know, it took my brother years to get into TV. Here, I'm doing it on my first internship. Keep your mouth shut, your head up, and just work. And I did. I learned everything about reporting from the guys I worked with. Uh, you know, Mike Stackhouse and Sean Churchill and Bruce Baker, Dean Molberg, uh, who's now in Calgary. Him and Dean and I had some great times together in Brandon. But I just thought, what a break. And, you know, a lot of broadcasting is who you know and you get a lucky break. And that was my break. Like, I did the reverse. I went into TV first and then radio later. Most people do it the other way around. Mm -hmm. So. It was it was amazing. Uh, that's how I got my foot in the door. And, and three weeks into my internship, the guy who was training me left to go to CBC. I took a news job, and boom, that was my first job. Three weeks into the into the industry. Wow, just like that, and kind of like a trial by fire, so to speak. As you said, you didn't know too much about TV. If you can remember back in that day, what might have been the hardest thing to uh, to grasp or learn at that time? Uh, well, uh, probably writing to pictures. Um, that that took me. And I didn't know anything about that, right? You know, you're right. You're doing a sports story about the Brandon Bobcats basketball team who lost last game. You know, you write in the word rebound, show a guy getting a rebound. You know, writing to the pitchers was the thing I had to to get used to the most. I remember the first time I was on live television, we used to do these updates at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, just short little 30-second, one-minute updates. So they said, okay, Dean, I think you're ready to do this. Well, I can't remember who the CFL commissioner was, but there was some sort of a uh, bit of a controversy. I, I basically convicted him because I just <laughs> lost all train of thought. It was like uh, Will Ferrell in that uh, in old school where he goes out of his mind and gives an answer, except mine was just making basically making stuff up. And I remember I got off and I thought, 
I'm going to jail. I'm going to get sued or something because I don't know anything about what I said. So being live, like actual live with no safety net was uh, very scary. But just learning how to write, learning how to report, learning how to keep your story under three minutes or two minutes and, you know, getting, you know, um, editing out all the, the, the stuff you don't need. And, you know, that stuff I had no experience with. Literally at school, I learned how to read properly out loud. Uh, I learned how to uh, be on a television set. I learned how to switch and, and do newscasts. I didn't learn how to build a story. So that was the hardest part, learning how to be a reporter on the fly while you're trying to you know, everybody make everybody believe you're a reporter. So you're working back home. When did you get uh, that first job uh, that uh, forced you to move out of Brandon uh, once again uh, into, uh, into another market? Yeah, I was in Brandon, so I started there in 97, uh, and, and I did love it. The, the, the first big event was the 97 uh, Olympic curling trials where Sandra Schmerler just stole the show, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, the late Sandra Schmerler. So I got to cover some cool events. The Wheat Kings went to the WHL final. I got to watch Marion Hossa, probably the best junior hockey player I ever saw live. Uh, he's just, just, just so good back in the day. And then... Uh, I made a trip out to BC or to Alberta to visit friends. Stopped in at Red Deer and uh, discussed things with uh, uh, Dwayne Rollheiser, who was the uh, the GM of the or the uh, the uh, news director. And he phoned me up a couple of weeks later and said, "I got a news job. If you if you want it, you could do some sports." You know, I was full time in sports at that point because I had to start in news and get into sports. And I decided, ah, I'm not really into that. And then I talked to a few people, got some advice, uh, you know, particularly from my brother. And he's like, "Just take it." get out there in that uh, area. You know, at that time, Calgary Flames games had just finished being on RDTV. So there was a lot of opportunities. Uh, So I called him back and he was like, well, you didn't seem like you're interested. So then I had to really work hard to sell him that I could do, that I was, you know, going to do it. And so I moved out to Red Deer in 99. Uh, My first year in Red Deer was Brent Sutter's first year as owning the team. uh, And it was so much fun um, just to be a part of that. Um, You know, the station was cool. I eventually worked my way into sports, and uh, it was awesome. I got to cover the Memorial Cup in 01, and Red Deer was a great town, and is a great town. I really, I still have great friends there, but it was awesome. We had a small, close-knit station. We did a lot of things together. Uh, the you know off-air stuff was a lot of fun, and there was some good stuff going on. The Rebels were top dog. It was a lot of fun to be in Red Deer at RDTV. And is that maybe the key to a good... Uh... I would say just for lack of a better term, good newsroom in, in a small town is that, uh, you know, everyone has to, if everyone can get along off the air, then everyone's going to get along on the air. Yeah. It's not, not too, uh, not terribly different than, um, you know, a sports team. Although there's a lot of guys that people don't get along with on sports teams that are integrable part parts of winning a championship. You're right. It's, it's a little bit different in that respect, but you are a team, you know, you're, you know, you got Champ on sports and Brick doing weather and, you know, like you're you're hanging out together and, you know, that anchorman takes it to kind of an, an extreme. But we did hang out together. Uh, Andrew Schultz was the weather guy. He was he was a goofy guy, like kind of the, you know, the the, the class clown sort of thing. And um, we had uh, reporters that was all the same age. We would go, you know, we we basically had uh, an, uh, this one place. Jim and Jairus was this beautiful pub owned by these two twin Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans and 
Like I, you got to the point you'd walk in there and they'd have an Alexander Keys or whatever you drank open and waiting for you. And the final set and final day, they they brought those guys on to the set on the newscast with me, and they just unrolled this like never-ending uh, receipt tape, you know, that you put in the <laughs> registers. It was like, here's your tab, Millard, blah blah blah. But it, that's the way that community was. You know, you'd walk around the centrium and people would talk to you and they'd stop. And, you know, it's a little bit different when you get into a bigger market. And we all wanted to get to a bigger market. I couldn't wait to get to Edmonton. And a bunch of years later, you start missing a lot of those things that you had when you were in Brandon or you were in Red Deer in some of those small towns. So it was a really good feel. It was a good newsroom. Uh, we did a lot of great work. And um, it, it was it was fun. I, I, I liked it and I liked the people I worked with. You're mentioning uh, your brother, Darren Millard, who uh, a big figure in uh, sports uh, broadcasting in Canada, now in the States, and we'll definitely uh, touch on him uh, in a bit. Uh, he worked up in Edmonton at, uh, it was ITV, uh, and mm-hmm. now Global TV. Um, how did you get up to Edmonton with, uh, after RDTV, that's when you made the move uh, um, from uh, Red Deer, Middle City, in between Calgary and Edmonton, up to uh, Edmonton, Alberta? I, actually, I went to Regina first. Uh, I, at the Memorial Cup, I got to know Warren Woods, R.I.P., the late Warren Woods, who was just a just a treat to work with, and uh, Craig Adams, uh, Pecchio, we called him, and Bob Crotchock. So those were the guys. They were at Global Regina. I got to know them um, pretty well during that, and uh, you know the uh, the newsroom and stuff. Uh, got to know some of the guys, and um, you know, the next year the Rebels went to the uh, Memorial, or the WHL final again. I think that they, yeah, they lost in the in the final, but they went through Moose Jaw, and so we would we traveled to Moose Jaw and would have to, you know, between Moose Jaw and Regina, it's small. Um, you're getting to know people. At that time, Craig Adam had told me he was leaving, so I was uh, definitely interested. Applied for the job and uh, I was I, I I got it. I was so excited for the opportunity to get to host my own half-hour sports show on Sunday nights, which just I turned into the, the what I thought was just so much fun, like to do that. So the 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 appeal was so great to do it. The interesting thing, Taylor, is that you know I, when I worked in Brandon, I worked for CKX, and that's the Craig Broadcasting, and that's who started a channel. Um, and then I went to Red Deer, and it was uh, owned by uh, the Allards, uh, so it became a global property. And then I went to Regina to work at Global Regina. So I left Red Deer, global global property, went to Regina, global property, and took a pay cut. I went from a smaller city to a bigger city and took a pay cut. And, uh, you know, it was just astounding. And my, my boss in, in the, the station manager in Red Deer, who I don't think do a whole lot about broadcasting, kept saying, like, why are you going to the armpit of Saskatchewan, he called it. It's terrible. <laughs> I said, because I want to get a half-hour show. I, I'm not going to go from Red Deer to Edmonton. I had to make another move, mm-hmm. get real anchoring experience, get real time on the desk. And then I was there for 10 months and got the job in, uh, in Edmonton. So it was, it was, you know, it was a really, you know, and looking back, a smart move to do that lateral move, get the experience I needed. Uh, you know, and I had developed a good relationship with Ann Stark, who was really integral of me getting to Edmonton. She was the uh, sports producer. And so when I was in Red Deer, I would often send her stories and got a uh, really relationship. So, you know, relationships, as, as I've mentioned in the past in this interview, are so huge in, uh, in, in getting to the next level. So the trip to Regina was a quick one, but a really effective one. And it, and it got me on the desk, uh, you know, a half hour on Sundays of my own show, 
Then when I would fill in on during the week, we also had the half hour show. So it was just massive in speeding up my, uh, I guess my live broadcasting uh, experience. So it was, it was integral. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I tried, I applied at, uh, you know, stations in Calgary and Edmonton. I, I was offered a job at a channel for $17,000 a year once. And I thought, well, how the heck would I even make a living off of that? Right. So I, I knew I wasn't going to get to Edmonton or Calgary or wherever without more experience. And, and you know what, my, when I first got into this, my brother, Darren told me, he said, don't get into it to get rich. You're going to eat craft mm-hmm. dinner and hot dogs for a long time. And if you work hard, you might get to something where you can eat steak. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to eat steak and red deer and I wasn't going to probably do it in Regina, but if I wasn't wanting to get to Edmonton, I had to do something. And so that's the decision I made to, to, you know, go to Regina. I liked it there. I loved it. And, um, you know, it was 10 months I was in the, the market I dreamed of. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think everyone gets that advice uh, going in, whether it doesn't have to be sports broadcasting, it's just broadcasting in, in, in general. Um, and uh, knowing that it's a lot of things, it's for the experience uh, most of the time, and it might be a, a pay cut. Um, I guess talk, you know, you wanted to get into... Uh, like you said, more anchoring experience and taking that pay cut. I mean, how hard is that decision when you're balancing um, money in front of you and then the job that you want? Um, does it just boil it down to you have to think, you know, hey, this is just going to be experience that it's going to pay off in the long run? Yeah, I, I just, it's just big picture stuff. Like I like I said, I knew I wasn't going to be able to make that direct move. Um, so I, I thought, well, this is an opportunity to be part, you know, and, and the other thing is I was in Brandon and we had three sports guys. I went to Red Deer. I was the only guy. Uh, so it was nice to be part of a team again. And, and just, you know, the half hour show that, that, that experience, you know, I did, you know, whatever, five minutes at noon and you know, three minutes at six. And we had a pre-recorded show that we recorded on Thursday that aired on Saturdays. And I just wasn't getting, I was just kind of like treading water, running on a treadmill or whatever. So I just said, I got I've got to do this to, to get more experience. And, you have to sometimes see the big picture depending on what your goal is. And, you know, sometimes you take a step back to take two steps forward or a sidestep and, and things like that. So the money wasn't a big deal. It's funny when I, when I got the job in Edmonton, I told Tim Spellacy, he was just like, this is, we got to fix this. Like we just can't have this. And hopefully they did at some point, but the, you know, the time I spent in Regina was amazing. I worked with uh, Warren Woods, as I mentioned, who unfortunately recently passed away and Bob Krawchuk and, the, the the first uh, they were huge Leafs fans and just just like obnoxious obnoxious Leafs fans and I, I had uh, you know basically been a Habs fan because that's the last team Andy Moog played for so I figured that was my team so on my introduction on the desk the last thing Woody said to me in the the first I was on there and he said well it's great to have you aboard who's your favorite team I'm like well I'm a Habs fan he's like you're fired there we go that was my introduction <laughs> and and it just was they were just so fun to work with and you know and that that newsroom too you know we worked hard and we played hard and it was a bit of a smaller center as well. Regina's not that big, so it was a, it was really a lot of fun. So I, I like to think I worked in three minor markets and a major market. I, I'm not sure I'm considering Regina a major market. It's more of a medium, but it was still a lot of fun. And th- there was no, there's you know, still to this day when I think of some of the best events I've covered, uh, the the Bombers Riders at Taylor Field is right up there because the you know Saskatchewan fans. You know, they're split on the Blades and the Pats and the Broncos and the Raiders and everybody else, but they're not split on the Riders, and that is one of the coolest things to ever experience is being at a Rider game. 
Yeah, and the CFL for sure. I mean, definitely one of the biggest rivalries uh, in that league. Uh, I guess one more on Regina. Uh, just talk about what it was like for you personally um, to be able to, to produce that, that sports show, that 30-minute sports show um, for the first time. It's your own, in a sense. What was that initial feeling like uh, getting to uh, create your own uh, program, essentially? It was amazing. It was so much fun. It was like literally giving a kid the keys to a candy store. I was, you know, think, you know, I, and I had a great uh, producer editor, Brad uh, was his name, and we really worked well together. So we made our own, you know, as during NFL season, we had all kinds of stuff, you know, after rider games, it would be a made basically a post game show. We would have rider players coming on, which, you get a rider on TV in Saskatchewan and the province stops, man. Like they, they want to hear from these guys and it was so much fun. We would create different segments and have, uh, you know, uh, some live guests, some tape guests, uh, different kind of stories. I, I actually started kind of the, you know, when I moved to Edmonton, I did the athlete of the week and I, I started that it was called the, the global sports spotlight. We did it in, in Regina and it was so much fun to just, we would run it on Sundays. It was, it was our own baby basically. And we would, we, you know, I was there, I, I left in, in April. Uh, so I, I got like a, a full hockey season and it was so amazing whether, you know, when the Pats were playing or, you know, the in the NHL, just to be able to set that show up and kind of build it and, and mold it into something that you, you created was really, really special and that was, you know, I, I produced my sports casts at Brandon and, and Red Deer, uh, and I put together stories, but I'd never produced anything on that level live. You know, we produced some tape shows. So it, it was intimidating at first. I was, you know, like, okay, this is a real, this is what, this is what I was here for. And I, and, you know, this is going to sound corny, but I remember I walked out onto the set one time at like eight o'clock on a Sunday night, my, my first Sunday half hour show. And I just walked out and I just, it was quiet and I looked around and I'm like, this is awesome. This is what I've been wanting to do. And it was like that cheesy movie moment. It's like, you know, after, after Dean Youngblood knocks out Racky and all the kids, he's out there on the rink by himself. Like that was my moment. I was like, Hey, I made it to this level. This is so awesome. And I was so proud and excited to be able to do that because I'd grown up watching those shows. We don't have any of those shows anymore, Taylor. It's yeah. all networks. There are no half-hour local sports shows because of those networks and because of all the cutbacks. But it, it was really, uh, you know, it, it wasn't Edmonton yet, but it was a really proud I made it moment to have my own half-hour show. And and it and it really, I really was so excited to actually be in that scenario and that situation and the opportunity to, to really stretch out and, you know, do some highlights and some packages. And, you know, it was, it was pretty fun. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the move to, to Edmonton and uh, was it, did it become global at that time? I forget so many years ago, or is it still ITV? Um, no, it was global. Yeah, it was global. So global Edmonton channel eight still is channel eight. <laughs> uh, talk about that move and, and coming to, uh, to where uh, you reside now. Yeah, they, they had an opening. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I just worked as hard as I can to put together my demo. I flew out to come to the newsroom and it was, it was great because there were people in the newsroom that I, that I already knew. Um, so there was that already an instant connection and people there were excited to see me. So it kind of helped out, you know, and then my brother had worked there for, you know, five minutes before he went to Sportsnet. And that was a bit of a running joke. I asked for more 
salary. I said, uh, just take some of the clothing allowance off. I'll use some of the clothes that Darren got when he was there. So <laughs> it was it was a good opportunity to break the ice. And like I said, you know, broadcasting is a lot of who you know. And it also can hinder you. You know, I lost out on a lot of jobs because of my brother was in the uh, the business and not a lot of jobs, but I was told that, you know, we're just going to, we don't want this or that, or, you know, we, we don't think that uh, we're worried about pe- what people might say if we hire you in certain markets. And I'm like, okay, well, that that's interesting that uh, you have that uh, kind of point of view, but mm-hmm having that was uh, the good outweighed the bad for anything. And so I had that kind of sort of connection with uh, the guys that were still in, uh, you know, John worked with Darren a little bit and there were some other people that worked there, some of the editors. So it was really good to have that flew out, met some people, talked, and then, you know, back and forth, got the, uh, the job offer. They wanted me to start on April 1st and I refused because I, I said, when I get here, I won't have a job. It'll be a, be a bad April fool's day joke. So I started on April 2nd and, uh, yeah, I started the job on April 2nd, April 4th. I met my future wife. So the first couple of days in Edmonton were pretty good. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it seemed like, a you know, when you, when we saw you on TV back then and, and you worked with, it was uh, John Sexsmith and Kevin Carius all at, yeah. we were all there at the same time. So some real uh, juggernauts of uh, Edmonton uh, sports uh, broadcasting scene. Uh, I guess just maybe touch on a bit of working with, uh, with guys like that and, and having to come up with, um, with story ideas. What are some keys when you're, when you're working with, um, uh, a, a group of people like that that are very strong uh, and and known in the city as well in terms of uh, uh, being out about in the community and what's that relationship? What was that like working with those guys? It was so much fun. It was uh, it was really great. I, I learned so much. John, you know, John's one of the best advice I, I received from John was about word economy, which I don't have to worry about now in podcasting because you're, you know, you're do whatever you want. But when you're on TV, you certainly, you need to worry about what you're saying and and how much you're saying. So word economy and, you know, trying to say as much with as little, uh, if that makes any sense. And and it's so funny. I I always say this in in TV, 30 seconds was a lot of time. Like you've you've got a whole 30 seconds to say this. You're like, Oh wow. Then I got into radio and started doing the pipeline show with, uh, you know, Guy, and then you eventually joined us and it's like, Oh, we have 15 minutes. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. That's a, that's a long time. And now you get into podcasting and you got like an hour or whatever you want. So, but in television, word economy was important. You know, you're only on there, you know, 30 seconds heavy is a lot in a, in, in the television world. You're, you're, things taking things down to the exact second so that was something that was huge um you know and and the one thing with kevin and i we always talked about never leaving anything on the cutting room floor so if you're if you're going to an event like you're going to the royal bank cup somewhere and you you know you're you're sending you got to send everything back don't ever let anything you know they might not run it but give it to them give them as much opportunity as they can so you got to maximize what you're doing. A lot of times, you know, we'd hear of a good story of a hockey team and we'd go there and then, you know, we'd also pick up an athlete of the week. So you're, you know, you know, as a reporter, you're trying to work as hard as you can and collect as much stuff as you can. Um, you know, there's only so many camera guys to go around and there's only so many uh, cameras available. There's always a cat stuck in a tree or a pot boiling over that somebody has to run off and cover as 
Dave Jameson and I used to joke about uh, when we couldn't get to an Eskimos presser, he'd be like, cat stuck in a tree again, right? Yep, yep. Camera got pulled. So you got to make the most of whatever you're doing. And and we did. We pumped out. When we had that half-hour show, it was, you know, people talk about uh, you got to do more local. Well, we did so much local. Yeah, we showed some baseball games and things like that, but we pounded that show with local most nights. So, you know, when they cut that show, I really, I was really disappointed in global television for doing that. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, but it's, it's, that's what it is. Sports Mm -hmm. has become uh, such a low priority at the television, local television era. Everybody, you know, is is going with, uh, national and things like that. I don't even know what's happening at CTV now because uh, I think uh, Adam Cook was leaving or something like that. I thought I had heard. So I don't know what, what they're doing. And I, I'm I'm just shocked that Global still has three people. I'm happy. I'm happy that John and Kevin and, and Quinn Phillips are, are there because there was always a threat when I was there that they were going to cut the sports department. So um, it was it was a blast, though. I absolutely loved it. We had a great producer in Ann Stark. Uh, Freddie Anderson was our editor uh, when I first got uh, I- involved. And it was just, uh, you know, I've never met a more meticulous guy when it came to putting together a story. So uh, he was a lot of he worked with my brother, too. So he would always be telling me stories about, you know, the, the night that uh, this guy got fired or that guy or these things back in the day when things were a little bit uh, more hairy. Uh, but it was a blast. I loved it. And, you know, we were the best in the, in the city. And I, I have no qualms saying that we had the most experience of any sports department in the city. And, you know, for 13 years, um, you know, and then, you know, I, I don't watch a whole lot of global or CTV uh, anymore. I, you know, get stuff off the internet and things like that, but uh, I'm sure they're still going strong over there, but man, you know, we were a juggernaut sports department when we were going for, from, uh, uh, for, I guess it was uh, it was 10 years I worked there, maybe, or something like that, 03 to 2013. So it was an absolute blast working with those two guys. And we also, yeah, we had some pretty good laughs off the air as well, especially Johnny and I would, uh, we'd always have these little inside jokes going back and forth when somebody would say something. The, the word association game that so many people, when they're not involved in it, don't like it. But it was a lot of fun working at that station. You you mentioned the 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 thirty minute uh, sports local sports show sports night. I I used to watch it. I loved it. Um, does a memory memory stick out for you uh, specifically related to that show uh, that you could share with us? A funny story. Yeah, I I I don't know. I was it was kind of neat to um, um, had Craig Simpson on there right when the the uh, the first lockout was over when the Oilers went on the run and. Chatting with him about uh, how they were, I said, you guys should go after Team Solana because he's going to be rested. And they were going after Paul Correa. So just sitting there having those conversations was, was fun. A buddy of mine was playing in the uh, the Canadian tour events. So I got to you know have him on set, a, you know, a childhood friend of mine and things like that. It was pretty cool. The one, I never got to watch sports night. It was global sports when I worked there. The one oh, story right. that I always, <laughs> that I always like, uh, uh, that I heard about was, uh, you know, it was unfortunately the night uh, they, they let an employee go. Uh, my brother was in uh, Jasper playing golf and was called and said, you got to get back here. So-and-so has been let go. And so obviously not very happy making that four-hour drive to come back. Uh, apparently, as the story goes, he walked in, was handed his scripts, walked down to the set, grabbed Claire Martin and said, you're anchoring with me tonight because I don't know what's going on. So uh, Claire did the uh, the show with Darren that night. And so... That was a pretty good memory. And I, I, one of the, the dearest people that I had a chance to work with was Claire Martin. And, 
you know, my brother loved working with her when he was here. They became good friends, and uh, I became good friends with Claire as well. So that was kind of neat. But that's the kind of the funny memory story I heard. I had heard uh, from the people that were still around uh, when I worked there that uh, him and Claire did the uh, the sports show that night. Yeah, you're definitely right too. I think that uh, what's missing is uh, a lot of local coverage uh, with uh, with television and radio stations uh, of especially local sports right now. Uh, obviously nothing going on in our current climate, but uh, just in the last couple of years, it seems local program is uh, unfortunately taken, uh, you know, a, a seat on the back burner. Unfortunately, you were busy when you were working at, uh, at global TV as a reporter. Um, and then you dipped into radio. That's how I met you at the pipeline show at uh, team 1260 in Edmonton mm-hmm. and then eventually TSN 1260. But just talk about uh, getting approached, uh, by Guy Flaming uh, and joining uh, the Pipeline show. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was so much fun. I I first was able to get on. Uh, we used to have media hockey on. Um, I think media hockey was Monday, Monday or Tuesday. One of the, Rob Zitlow, R.I.P. Late uh, Rob Zitlow, and don't we all miss him in the local sports scene? As you were talking about mm-hmm. the. Uh, the coverage that guy covered sports. We literally, when we did high school football highlights, Taylor, they were from Rob Zitlow. He would record, he would do all the games. He would package the highlights. He would cab them to us. Um, we, we paid for the cab, thankfully. And, and we would air the highlights courtesy of Rob. That guy covered locals. Nobody, I don't think will ever be able to cover it as good as he did. But mm-hmm. so anyway, where I was going with the media hockey was I played with Bob Stoffer and Mark Spector in the, in the media afternoon uh, hockey that we would play on Mondays and Tuesdays. And Mark was on Mondays or one day with, you know, with Bob or whatever on uh, total sports. And I would call in and joke about our media hockey and, and Bob's like, do you like, do you want to come on? And so I started doing radio with Bob on Mondays. I think Guy Flaming did some radio with Bob as well uh, during the week as well. And, you know, I, I owe Bob Stoffer uh, for me getting my kind of foot in the door on, at that radio station for allowing me to, to come on. And I would, uh, you know, host his show sometimes when he was gone. And then Guy, you know, for just talking at the rink, just came up and said, hey, you know, I heard you uh, have, you know, been around to some WHL cities. And, you know, I grew up in one in Brandon. Every city I worked in has had a WHL team. So he kind of pitched the... The concept, I liked it. Uh, it was a terrible concept at the beginning because we were going to do uh, one Euler prospect per show and we were going to talk to him, we were going to talk to a scout, and then we are going to talk to a writer. And then we quickly realized that is a terrible idea for a show and branched it out into all prospects and not just focusing on the Edmonton Oilers. So it's amazing how you start something and then you pivot. But Guy was so fun to work with. I don't know how many times I had to leave the studio because I was laughing about something. <laughs> and you remember the hijinks we had. I, I also think we had more fun trying to get those promos done after the show uh, than we did on the show. But it was awesome. It was an opportunity for me to um, kind of get a bit of a niche in the in the Edmonton media scene for Key and I. And, and across Canada, actually. You know, I would go to Memorial Cups and events and uh, people would be like, oh, that's, that's the Pipeline show. And I remember talking to Steve Stamkos and I just went to him the first time he came through Edmonton. And I said, Hey, I'm Dean. I'm with the pipeline show. And I couldn't even finish. And he's like, that was so awesome. That was my first interview. And, you know, it was just so cool to talk to these guys before anybody else really, really did. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many times Patrick Kane was ever on uh, Edmonton radio or radio in Canada for that matter, other than uh, maybe in, in, in London. Uh, before that so that was the cool thing was working with Guy and building that show into 
you know, what it is still today, a very strong uh, prospect focused show. And we had our four majors and it was awesome. So getting into radio was, was quite fun because like I said before, I kind of took the back door into TV and thought I'd never be on radio, uh, but it was so much fun to be able to, to get into that. And then, you know, eventually get into it full time down the road. Yeah, you're still uh, heavy into uh, into covering uh, the draft, uh, which seemed that was always the my favorite shows to do were the draft shows. Uh, but what was and you kind of touched on it, maybe t- talking to the the players, uh, maybe being your favorite part uh, of the show. But what did you like best about working uh, on the Pipeline show? Um. I I think what I liked is that we were one of the few people that were doing it at that time. There's a lot of prospect shows now, but there weren't at that time. So I love the fact that, you know, um, you know, people would, would kind of reach out to us about different prospects. And, you know, we were learning about these guys and, and the, the relationships that we were able to build with some scouts and, you know, GMs and, you know, and, 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 you know, hockey officials and things like that. It was, it was fun. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you were with us the, the night we did it, but we had Kevin Lowe in studio with us one time and it was awesome. It was really, really fun. Um, you know, it was kind of like the Rob shrimp era and things like that. And the, I, the, the, probably the, the most fun we had was the night we had Rob shrimp. Matt T had been asked by Scott Oak on a Saturday night after an Oilers game, about somebody getting called up before Rob Shrimp. And Mac T went off and said, you know, you guys think he's this guy's all that in a bag of chips or something like that. It was some demeaning quote to Rob Shrimp. And then we were having Shrimp. We we reached out. We we had a really good relationship. And I still do have a really good relationship with Rob Shrimp. He's been on some of my shows a few times. And so he came on and just, you know, we did an interview. And he was good about it. He was like, hey, I can't change that. I can just play and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't know what it was that, Craig McTavish seemed to not like about Rob Shrimp, but you know, maybe he was right because Rob didn't have a terribly successful career, but we had Rob uh, pre-taped and we kept pushing it back because we were watching hockey's futures, the the threads and people were going bananas about when are they going to play this? And I'm listening online. And so we waited until the end of the show, people were losing their mind on the, you know, it was basically the version of Twitter now, but for hockey. And then we, we kind of played it. And so that was fun. We did an interview with, uh, Robert Nielsen, where he, I think he was eating ribs, uh, in the background. Like you could literally hear him eating ribs. There was one where guys were at the bowling alley, we had Theo Fleury on, and he just smoked dart after dart, like cigarette after cigarette mm-hmm. after cigarette during the interview. So there's some pretty entertaining times that we had on the show, and most of them came from just, like, you know, Guy and I laughing our heads off at different things. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, definitely a lot of the stories that you just said um, definitely are are popping back up into my head. That's, that's for sure. And, yeah, and you mentioned Kevin Lowe. And uh, I wasn't there for that, but I always enjoyed the having the the players come in whenever we had live guests. Yeah. Um, that, that was a, a lot of fun. Um, and you touched on too that gave you an opportunity to um, kind of foster some relationships and get and build some connections with uh, with personnel and and players in, in whatever league. Uh, touch on you know how key is it as being a, a reporter. Um, really, in any field, doesn't have to be um, sports related, but you know, having those contacts, contacts, pardon me, and how key it is, but also being able to use information that 
you do get, uh, whether it's to break a story or have uh, an inside scoop, um, how key is it to be able to cradle that and how do you do that without, uh, you know, stepping over a line and essentially burning a bridge with, uh, with uh, someone who is uh, giving you a tip? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's all experience. I mean, you know, one of the biggest stories that we broke during that pipeline show was the Portland Winterhawks, uh, you know, paying, paying, uh, for lack of a better term, paying players, the, con- the, the contracts that they had. And, you know, that's our Mike Johnson lost a year and they lost draft picks. And that story, the information we got for that story was built on experience. It, it, that's what it takes, Taylor, is it takes experience. You know, you, you might screw something up, but ever, you know, who has ever learned something perfectly, you know, in, in their whole life without making a mistake, you're going to make mistakes. It's a learning curve. Um, you know, and I've had guys, you know, like I've had guys, you know, call me up and yell at me for a story and for, for saying something. And I'll be like, well, is it true? Well, yeah. Okay. Well then why are you calling me? You, you don't like you, what you don't like is the fact that the story leaked out. Uh, and, and the other thing is you can't take it personal. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Brandon. I know Kelly McCrimmon very, very well. He was, he was thankfully, he was one of the guys that reached out to me when I got laid off a few years back. And, you know, he's a, a really nice man that I've known. But I've had a lot of arguments with him, and he's been really pissed off at me a lot of times. And, you know, I just texted him the other day for something. Uh, so you you, you got you got to be... First of all, you have to have a thick skin. Um, that's the other thing my brother told me is that have a thick skin in this business because somebody's going to try to step over you to get ahead of you, and somebody's going to do that, and somebody's going to get mad at you, and this, that, and the other. So if you don't have a thick skin, you're not going to be lasting very long. And you know, especially now with social media and the amount of critiques, like you know, for for the the the, the big deal that people made about Rob Tichkowski's uh, question and everybody that thinks it's stupid. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm pretty sure that most of those people that say they're stupid questions and this would just ask for an autograph if they were presented with a player in front of them, because I don't think they would be able to come up with the earth shattering question that's never been discovered. So I think that's a, it's a little bit silly. It's like saying that anybody could, you know, I could score more goals than this guy. Well, it's just a ridiculous thing. Like these mm-hmm. people that are in this, these positions have worked long and hard and paid their dues to get to where they are. And when a guy gives you a flippant answer i don't have a problem with a guy going back at it but anyway it, it it is a situation where you do have to have that you have to have that thick skin you have to um be able to take some criticism especially if you screw up a story that a source gave you or something and and then you have to your your reputation is your currency right like you can you you burn a couple of people, word is going to go around. You're never getting another one. And you foster those relationships. And, you know, we tried to take care of some of the people that were, you know, the most important to us. So, you know, over the years, um, you know, we, we did some special outings with the Pipeline Show. And, and, and that's how you do it. You know, I still talk to the people that, you know, we went on those trips with and things like that. And I still get information from them. So you have to have good relationships. Um, if you want to be any kind of, um, I was going to say influencer, but I don't know if that's the right word, but if insider, you want to have, maybe. yeah, yeah. And if you, if you want to be any kind of an insider, you know, you got to have people reaching out to you, you know, you can't just be always reaching out and asking the questions cause you heard it from somebody else, because if that's the case, somebody else has already probably broken the story. You need to, we want to get to the point too, where they give you the story and then you go and do it. And, and that was the beautiful thing about junior hockey is I got a lot of that from a lot of people. 
let's talk about uh, moving into radio full time. Uh, so you uh, leave Global, uh, unfortunately, um, and then an opportunity comes up to work full time uh, when it, it's uh, now TSN Radio in Edmonton. Get your own show. Uh, did you have those feelings back then um, from when you were in Regina getting, you know, you talked about that, that walking to the uh, walking into the studio moment and say, hey, I get to, you know, do this and make and create my own show. Um, did those feelings come back when, when you were presented with the opportunity to, uh, to take on the role of host uh, for the night show at TSN Radio? Yeah, th- then it did. It was, it was quite interesting because I started – well, I took my I took a, a leave of absence for mental health reasons in uh, 2013, and then you know it, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't being welcomed back by Global Television for you know, for whatever reasons they had. So I was uh, you know decided to leave there and uh, approached uh, the radio station about you know buying my own airtime and having my own show. So I had a the Saturday show from crap to cash. That was the place I was on location. It was a, just an amazing collectible. I don't know about the name, but it was uh, it was quite fun to be there. I still actually have a autographed Solani shirt that I bought the first time I I walked in there. My wife said you're supposed to be making money, not spending money. But anyway, I did that show on Saturdays and did a lot of you know fill in work uh, during the week and things like that. And then uh, when uh, when Strutty left, um, they asked me if I you know I applied for the show certainly, and then then I was lucky enough to get it and. It was quite neat in the fact that you know you're you're it's your own show and you know not that uh, you know we could do anything we wanted but we really created some cool stuff I thought so anyway I you know I I could sit here and talk for hours of the things I I think went wrong of of uh, of that show and the, the fact that it gets basically ignored by everybody in the uh, kind of the sales department but it was a fun time man uh, it's just. You know, when there's uh, when there's no initiative to to sell it, um, it's not going to last a long time. But it was amazing. Nighttime radio and morning radio, you can do some of the goofiest stuff. And we tried a lot of things, and that's what it was. It was, you know, like hearkening back to the reruns of WKRP in Cincinnati that I used to watch. We didn't throw any chick or turkeys out of the uh, windows or anything like that, but we certainly did have a lot of fun. Whether it was, you know, Connor filling in or Connor producing rather, or uh, um, Hernan, uh, I had Mark Majot for for a little bit. I think you actually filled in the one night Connor got uh, ill that night after a, a pipeline show. But it's just a different vibe. Nighttime radio, you could just you could do so much kind of goofier stuff, and you know, I don't know. You get close to that witching hour, and uh, weird thing, weird uh, things that seem to happen. Plus, we were like there was there was us, uh, there was Pam, and. Uh, um, uh, what was her name? I'm trying to think of the name now. She escapes me. She was on uh, Virgin. There was basically, uh, I think it was Morgan or something like that. There was four people basically in the building uh, of yeah. radio, so we could kind of like run around, do whatever we want. We could, you know, rollerblade through the hallways if we wanted to. Yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of fun times uh, working with. Uh, I, you know, I had the pleasure of working with Corey Graham on nights at mm-hmm. uh, at TSN Radio. That was a lot of fun. Um, you kind of you've touched on it in a couple answers, Dino, and and there is a downside in this in this business and industry, and it's you know unexpected job loss and and uh, and that sort of thing. And you know you're very open about um, about mental health and and uh, you know your uh, your issues, your battles, and your and your victories as well. Um, just touch on how you've been able to. Uh, 
to deal with uh, difficulties in the workforce where it's whether it's losing job and jobs or anything like that and and just being able to overcome it uh, because you really are a champion of of, of mental health and um, and uh, and you really take it very seriously so if someone is dealing with with job loss or anything like that you know what are some ways for someone to overcome that honestly it's you know it's it's so different for everybody but the the probably the only common thing is time like listen when i when i got laid off um i was i i felt very betrayed because it was like well i was coming in for an air check and now you're sending me out with a package so i was i was devastated um and i shut my phone off for a week i didn't want to talk to anybody i just like kind of went into uh underground mode and you know i, I then I decided I came out of it and people were saying like, Oh, you should do podcasts. You should get into this. Or, you know, it's really weird. I, it's the first time that I had, uh, you know, left a job without having something lined up that wasn't medical reasons. Right. I'd taken a leave of absence and, and things like that, but mm-hmm. this was, I had nothing to go to. So, you know, when you kind of come out of that fog, at least it was for me combined with my, you know, trust and mental health issues, it, it was, it took a little bit longer. You, you start thinking about what you're going to do and everybody is going to tell you this, Oh, it's going to be the best thing you you know to happen. You got all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, just shut up. I don't want to hear that. I, you know, I just, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't think of that way. And so now I'm coming up on like two years since I was let go. Um, I'm my, you know, I, I'm not working till midnight in a studio on a Saturday night when it's minus 40 anymore. My quality of life is so much better. I built a business. I'm doing so many cool things. It really is. The only thing is time and, and, and the experience to, to go through that. And, you know, every lot, look, it's not just broadcast print media has been decimated. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the journal in the sun used to be two different papers. You know, like, and, you know, now there's pretty much the same stuff. Writers going for, for both things. And, you know, as we've seen, uh, entire stations have been just uh, cast away. So, um, you know, my advice is you're going to need time. I, honestly, Taylor, if somebody asked me if they should go into broadcasting, I would tell them no. I, I, I just, I, you know, I, I just see so many people out of work that uh, I, I just don't trust the, the industry. And, and honestly, and, and this is a, a lesson for a lot of people, you know, I, I don't know if I would say don't go to broadcasting college because I think it's good to go and learn how to be a broadcaster, but start, you, know, you could start your own thing so easily now. Like I started with just a, a audio podcast. We're now into full video. Uh, we're doing all kinds of production and different things like that for people. I mean, you can go to broadcasting and at broadcasting college and you know you can try to learn at a station if there are people still hiring but you can also do your own thing now there it's it's so much easier like there were no podcasts in 1997 when i started <laughs> so i had to go work for a radio station uh you know and you know radio is going to be there for for however long i think there's but you know streaming even streaming is getting popular how many of these uh, junior teams now don't even have radio broadcasts anymore they're just streaming their guys on their website like the oil kings are doing mm-hmm. so you know it's just it's just there, there's there's less jobs out there but there's more options to be a broadcaster and as long as you're good and people listen or they watch you people are going to pay advertisers don't care about what product you're talking to like i i have a cannabis education pro- podcast 
advertisers don't care that I'm really t- well. Some are because the the stigma is real and it's it's silly. But if you have a million listeners and you're talking about cannabis, advertisers are going to be from you know uh, uh, lawnmowers are going to advertise because you have people listening. Yeah. So that's the thing is that you can you know if, if you have listeners, you'll have advertisers, and when you have advertisers. That's how you get paid. I'm not saying that everybody should just go and do it on their own. I'm just saying there's a ton of options out there for people. If you have a good product, people are going to listen or they're going to watch. And that's what it comes down to in every situation, whether it's television, radio, or podcasting. Well, you certainly uh, answered my next question because I was going to say talk about venturing into the world of podcasting. And you kind of summed it up uh, right there. And, 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 and that's great. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the technology that's out there today is, uh, you know, I, I know a, a couple people that uh, um, they, they just started their own podcast. Uh, it's a hockey podcast, and it's really taken off. And and like you said, you, there's just so much uh, technology and equipment out there that you can dive right into it, and you can do your own thing. And if you get the, the listeners and the subscribers and that sort of thing, you know, the results, uh, the results will come. And you mentioned quality of life right there as well. Um, you know that's a that's a big thing for a lot of people, and and to be able to find that uh, that balance is uh, is almost the ultimate goal for everyone. Um, okay, I said it, you would talk about your brother, Darren Millard. He's uh, a very known sports broadcaster in Canada now, working with the the Vegas uh, Golden Knights in the NHL on their television broadcast. Just talk about the influence he had on you, Dean, through the years, and and still probably does. Yeah, it was it was huge you know like i said earlier it was the reason i uh, got into it uh, it looks like so much fun and you know basically every decision career i've i've made uh, until you know until edmonton um i leaned you know and when, when i was in brandon he gave me advice about some people i was going to be working with because he had worked at the same station as well um, it's, you know, it's interesting. His first TV job, uh, was also at the same station as my first. So we worked at two different stations, uh, uh, at different times, but, uh, you know, and I was going to Red Deer. He's like, yeah, do it. Get your foot in the door. Same thing with Regina, you know, you know, at, at up until, um, you know, when I left global and then, uh, from, for mental health reasons, and then decided to get into radio, I, kind of made that decision on my own but he would also be a big part of our show uh, as well on on the pipeline show before we became uh, tsn 1260 and he was at sportsnet he came on so it was good he helped me with some contacts um he's, he's been a kind of a sounding board uh for for help and different things and 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 you know it was it was quite interesting once we got into the pipeline show and started selling it he was working at Sportsnet with Nick Caprios and Doug McLean, and they started asking us advice on, you know, how, how does this show work with your buying your airtime? Because I think they were kind of looking at something similar. So it was kind of neat how it came full circle. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, and, yeah, he was always a, a blast to have on when we had him on the Pipeline show on those Saturdays. Uh, it was always fun to talk to him. Uh, all right, well, every guest I've had so far, Dean, we go through a, a speed round, a quick 10-question uh, uh, format where we're looking for either one-word answers or quick little anecdotes to uh, just kind of put you on the spot but have some fun. Uh, you ready for the 10 questions? Sounds good. Okay, all right, so question number one we like to ask everyone, what's been your favorite sport to uh, call or cover uh, all time? 
Yeah, well, play-by-play play would be the brick tournament. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have one last year. I doubt we'll have one uh, this year. And uh, pretty hard to uh, go against the uh, Stanley Cup final in uh, 2006. Uh, but I'll, I'll put the uh, the uh, 01 Memorial Cup uh, Red Deer Rebels winning. Uh, what, so that the next question would be favorite team to uh, cover all time or call, but uh, that might have been the answer number two, Red Deer Rebels in 2001. Is that correct? Well, that was my favorite event. My favorite team to cover was the Wheat Kings. Uh, you know, growing up watching that team and then being able to cover it and, you know, knowing guys on that team because I wasn't much older than the, some of the players. Uh, so being able to cover the Brandon Wheat Kings um, it was, was, was probably my favorite team, although my most crushing moment was them getting crushed in the 2010 Memorial Cup by Taylor Hall and the Windsor Spitfires. But covering that team, all-time dream uh, from, from when I was a kid. What about a favorite player to uh, to either call in a broadcast or cover uh, on television? Oh, that's quite interesting. Um, I loved uh, Martin Erat when he played for the Red Deer Rebels. They they picked him up uh, late, but I'll actually go with Colby Armstrong from from the Red Deer Rebels. He was just a fun guy to be around. Still have a good relationship with him. He was just as goofy back then, if not more goofy. And I only imagine how Brent Sutter must have pulled his hair out at times. But I'll say Colby Armstrong. What was the best team to be around? Yeah, I, I'd say the the Rebels in 01, just because I was around them so mm-hmm. much. I was, you know, basically part of the team. They they gave me a really nice bottle of wine signed by all the team members and things like that. So that that was the team I probably came the closest with. We traveled with them in the playoffs, and you know, you'd uh, you know get to you know talking with different guys and things like that. So I, I would say I would say you know. Uh, that for for that thing that probably one of my favorite players you know is Jeff Sanderson uh, because my wife grew up with him up in high level so it was quite neat when I walked up to him and said Pud says hi and he kind of was wondering about her nickname and so that was kind of a neat thing to have a bit of a, a personal connection there favorite venue or city to travel to um geez I didn't really uh I'll, you know what? I'll say the Grey Cup in uh, 05, where Danny Machocha prematurely celebrated. I'll say that uh, that Grey Cup in Vancouver was, you know, even though Vancouver might not be considered a football town, the area we were in was Grey Cup Central. So that was pretty cool. Best advice you've ever received? Thick skin and uh, craft dinner and hot dogs for the first part of your career. <laughs> Those are always my pregame meals, craft dinner and, uh, and <laughs> hot right. dogs. Uh, what's one sport uh, you've maybe wanted to uh, to cover, do play-by-play in, uh, but never got the chance to? Baseball. Uh, I've I've had the opportunity to host games uh, when they were on ICU video, and you know, let's hope that uh, that uh, great company keeps going. But uh, I've always wanted to do play-by-play for baseball. I've, you know, I was hockey has been always my number one sport. Uh, golf got there uh, pretty close, but I think baseball's. Uh, either you know, right neck and neck with hockey, or maybe almost surpassed it. I just uh, you know, I pretty much all day have a baseball game going uh, on one of my TVs just to have it in the background. So I would absolutely love to be able to do baseball, just because the you know the pace of play allows you to do so much more than just 
calling it. Like when you're doing a hockey game, you know what that's like. It's so fast, right? Yeah. Like you hardly have time to do anything. And, you know, you, you have a color guy sometimes for a reason. You got to get let him talk as well. The, the worst play-by-play guys are the ones that, you know, do the color guy's job as well. So baseball, there's that opportunity. Like, if, you know, the, I just look at Vin Scully. He's my all-time favorite, him and Bob Cole. But Vin Scully never had a color guy. Because he never had a shortage of stories. Like, he could go from talking about Fernando Venezuela's curveball to, you know, John Lennon. Like, or, you know, or, you know, whoever. Like, he always had somebody from the Brat Pack up there. Things like that. It was just, that's the beautiful thing about baseball is you could just, you have so many opportunities to do so much. So, that would be it for me. Out of all the places that you worked and all the jobs that you have, and even currently, what's been your favorite job? Um... Just, well, probably Global Edmonton as far as uh, being in, like, my goal. Um, I probably had the most fun in Regina. And uh, the neatest job was probably doing the post-game show. But it was also the most frustrating because, you know, you you have one guy saying they totally agree with you, and you have another guy saying we're the worst people ever. You have one guy saying we're homers. You have another guy saying or girl saying we don't criticize enough. So that was probably the most frustrating. But... Edmonton because I realized my goal of covering an NHL team and Regina because it was just so much fun and so fast. Favorite broadcaster, you answered all time, so I'll, I'll just go with favorite broadcaster currently. Sports. Uh, play-by-play guy? It could be anyone. Play-by-play or color. Who do you like right now? Love Louie. I, I love Louie. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know... Uh, I'm, I'll be, be honest. I'm not a Jack Michaels fan, so I, uh, I I listen to Cam Moon when Jack Michaels does the games. I sync up my radio, but then it means I miss out on Louis. So I really love Louis DeBrusque. But you know, for hockey, it's Chris Cuthbert. Like I just, I you know, I I don't think that there's anybody better at him. Bob Cole was is is my all-time favorite. But right now, color and uh, uh, play-by-play. If I could get Chris Cuthbert and Louis DeBrusque on every broadcast, I'd be a happy camper. And last question. Number 10, who should be on behind the mic with Taylor Medic? Who's a guest that I should try and get on? Uh, who is the would be a great guest? Well, I think if you could possibly get Bob Stoffer, it, it, it's amazing. Bob uh, was kind enough to come out and do my show and send to the to the studio, uh, you know, back when we could hang out together one summer and he's he's got terrific insight, terrific stories. You know, I, I know he's a character, and, and I think he kind of plays that up a little bit too, but he's a great guy, and uh, I think he would be an unbelievable guest. I think Corey Graham would make uh, an incredible guest uh, as well, and, and if you want great stories, then, then you definitely need to get Jason Strudwick on. Well, perfect. Well, definitely dive to uh, try and get those uh, those three on uh, one day at one point. Uh, Dean, before I let you go, uh, where can uh, everyone find all your content right now? You're a busy man. you got a lot of uh, shows going uh, around uh, around the clock uh, with your podcast. Where can everyone find your, uh, your content right now? The easiest place to go to is www.podcastalley.ca. Um, we have all of our sports shows. We have all of our shows. We have a separate website for uh, the Cannabis 101 podcast because of uh, just uh, age gating, and we want to make sure everybody is of legal age. But uh, we also have that website. It's an educational and entertaining look at the uh, legalization of cannabis, what you should know before you try it if you never have. Uh, but we have a Tracking the Draft with Craig Button, which is so much fun. Keeps me up to date with the draft. That comes out on Wednesdays. 
Uh, fantasy hockey time comes out Monday mornings, and that's just kind of a recap look ahead to the week in fantasy. And uh, we have something called the UFHL now. Uh, I'm in a, uh, a really high stakes fantasy hockey league called uh, the Ultimate Fantasy Hockey League. And it's under the platform of Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. We actually have our own uh, fantasy sports network with a bunch of shows. But here's the here's the cool thing, Taylor. We had an expansion franchise sell the other day because we have, we do everything that the NHL does. They have a 30-second team. We have a 30-second team. Well, it sold the other day, our expansion franchise, in an auction for $10,000 U.S., a fantasy hockey team in our league. Now, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you, you, you're not going to believe that, but it's absolutely true, 100%. The reason it sold so much is um, because of the blockchain. And this is something you, you've probably heard about yeah. and you're going to hear about a lot more. These are NFTs. These are non-fungible tokens. So you hear a lot about those NBA uh, top shots. Those are the same thing. But these are actually functioning. We have a gameplay. We have hockey. We have a scouting program. Craig Button is actually the head scout of the scouting agency my wife owns in this. We paid $525 to get the rights to Shane Wright for 2022 it is so in in depth it's high stakes so they just announced the golf league we have the hockey league we have an ahl league this thing is blowing up nfts are you know really really popular it's kind of a buzzword i encourage people to google them so we do a lot of fantasy stuff for them but can you believe that ten thousand dollars (laughs) us you get an nhl team and you get an ahl team so you're getting a lot of assets and you know People bought into this league for 200 U.S. and now teams are selling oh. for 10,000. It's it's basically like having an investment that you can play with, man. Like it's it's like the investment is the thing, but we also have the gameplay. So it's pretty wild. So we do a lot of stuff with them. It's uh, people can find it on YouTube at Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network. Uh, and then, like I said, the rest of my shows at Podcast Alley. So I got a lot going on. I never thought I would be doing as much producing and behind the scenes and editing and things, but I absolutely love it. And, you know, just another thing where you think one door closes and you have five more open up. It, it really is true. So, um, you know, the, the, as much as I was devastated and deceived when I, when I lost the job and, you know, still have obviously some issues with that, uh, it's been really fun to be able to spread my wings and get involved in some other things. So if you have a uh, spare 10 grand lying around and you want to get into some high stakes uh, blockchain fantasy sports, uh, the, the, the Twitter handle is at UFF sports if you want more information. So that always seems to floor people when I tell them how much it sold for. Certainly, yeah. That's uh, that's uh, <laughs> that is mind blowing. That's for sure. But uh, that's pretty cool. So I definitely I'll encourage uh, listeners to uh, to look that up. Uh, I'm going to go look at it right now. So excellent stuff, Dean Millard, Podcast Alley. Thanks a lot for joining me here on Behind the Mic. Uh, it was really great to uh, to catch up with you. And uh, we'll have to uh, do this again and talk more. Maybe some uh, some fantasy hockey and uh, <laughs> and some <laughs> buying some franchises. Uh, down Indeed. the road uh, yeah no doubt man uh sports doctor it was always great to, it's always great to catch up with. i loved our time together you and me and gee uh, we had some pretty fun times with some good times up at jpl as well i think i think you might have bought the most expensive beer i'd ever seen at uh, one point on one of those trips from the uh the room service but man we had some fun and uh you know congratulations on this show i think it's a great idea to you know, pick people's brains, you know, and I had guys like Gene Prince Bay and Gregor and these guys on my show. These are the questions I asked them about their career because, you know, they're, they're probably not going to talk about it. Well, well, you know, Gene's not going to talk about different things 
um, you know, when he's on the broadcast. So these are things you get to uh, you hear stories about. And the best story Gene told me was the night he got uh, fantasy hockey advice from Wayne Gretzky in the strip club across the street from what was then Northlands Coliseum. So if you ever have Gene on, make sure you ask him that story. I will for sure. Thanks a lot, Dean. No problem, buddy. Well, what a great conversation that was with Dean Millard of Podcast Alley. And as I said at the beginning before this interview, it was always a pleasure to work alongside Dean at Team 1260 Radio and TSN Radio in Edmonton on the Pipeline Show and as well as any of the other shows that he would be working on. It was always a pleasure to to help him out on those fronts. And uh, <laughs> fantasy hockey, wow, that's, uh, you know, I, I thought I took fantasy hockey uh, pretty seriously with uh, my group's uh, $100 buy-in, but uh, buying a team at those prices, uh, that's a, a little bit out of my price range, uh, if you ask me. Uh, but uh, that's pretty interesting about uh, uh, what uh, what Dean is doing there. Uh, and he mentioned uh, going to the Jasper Park Lodge, and that was just a ton of fun uh, being able to do that. Um, so what would happen is, in a nutshell, uh, both uh, Guy Flaming and Dean Millard um, would assemble uh, a few of their clients that advertised with us on the Pipeline Show, and uh, as a nice thank you for support, um, as well as uh, a few other uh, friends of the show that uh, that helped uh, help the guys out um, with uh, with certain things, also uh, came out uh, to the Jasper Park Lodge in Jasper, Alberta, and uh, we'd play some golf. Uh, we'd play uh, you know, four rounds in two days. It was uh, it was really awesome um, <laughs> with those uh, going out there and having some fun and and just. Uh, you know, enjoying uh, enjoying the mountains and uh, enjoying uh, a few rounds of golf, and then of course some good food and uh, and uh, refreshments uh, after the fact. Uh, he talked about uh, the most expensive beer I ordered, and I, I forget how much it was, but you can only imagine ordering a a beer via room service at a Fairmont property. Quite pricey, and another thing that with with Dean um, that I always liked and really saw from him is that uh, you know both him and Guy were well connected in, in the junior hockey circles as well as uh, some NHL contacts and um, they had great relationships uh, with uh, with people and and oftentimes they would get a scoop on uh, on a NHL level story uh, either a transaction um, a, a trade or a signing uh, before some of the uh, the big wigs in town that uh, that covered the Edmonton Oilers or other teams for that matter. So they had really good contacts uh, and they uh, they definitely used that information they got uh, well and never uh, never burnt a bridge with, uh, with a source. So they were always uh, very um, keen on that and, and uh, that's something I learned uh, as well. And also, uh, you know, using the right words. If, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're just the producer and you're posting something, you know, back in the, you know, back in those days, it was kind of the start of posting media on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram quite uh, wasn't around uh, to the way it was now, um, even Twitter for that matter. Uh, so you really had to, uh, you know, if you're posting a clip, you, you know, Dean, uh, a good uh, quick lesson. Uh, he told me if you have a relation to uh, the thing that you're posting, you got to be careful you're not uh, editorializing it and making us all 
think uh, this way. So if you know if there was a bad hit uh, that uh, popped up and uh, we wanted to know fans' opinion, we'd have to be careful if uh, you know if I was posting it on behalf of the Pipeline Show and not putting uh, my take on it and making sure that uh, it's uh, uh, an objectionable uh, post rather than uh, editorialized. Uh, so that was certainly uh, a little lesson I learned uh, from Dino there. Uh, well, again, what a great conversation that was. Uh, we hope uh, you're enjoying these uh, these episodes behind the mic with Taylor Medic uh, is the show. And uh, you can reach me on Twitter if you have any feedback or uh, you w- want something nice to say about the show or tweet uh you can tweet at me uh a guest uh, a guest idea who should uh, be on behind the mic my twitter handle is at taylor medic t-a-y-l-o-r-m-e-d-a-k uh, i'd love uh, any suggestions of uh guests we should try and get on and guests that uh, should go behind the mic so with that we'll leave you and uh, we'll have another guest next week and another conversation about sports broadcasting when someone goes behind the mic with taylor medic